Welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today's guest, John Lowe, is a man of many talents. One of them may be an ability to see the future. John is a Netflix producer of numerous shows, including Spycraft and Terrorism Close Calls. He is a co-founder of Fuel for Truth and Legion. Fuel for Truth was created to help college students become educated about Israel and enable them to have confidence to partake in peaceful dialogue, stating facts about Israel as opposed to propaganda that is often spewed on college campuses to demonize the Jewish state. He is also the co-founder of Legion, a self-defense group largely composed of Jews that is now in 23 locations. In these classes, students learn Krav Maga, do active shooter drills, and learn how to defend themselves from knife attacks. John also is a firefighter and is kind enough to give people vegetables he grows in his garden for free. We give you John Lowe. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the to the Wilds Cast, MGE's podcast, and I have a very wonderful, wonderful guest, a great honor, a man of many, many talents, uh, and I think one of them probably the ability to see into the future. Uh, John Lowe, am I pronouncing your last name correctly, John? You are, Mark. Okay, excellent. So John is a, amongst many things, a Netflix producer, numerous shows, Spycraft, Terrorism, Close Calls, we'll get to that later. He's also co-founder of Fuel for Truth and of Legion. Now, Fuel for Truth was created to help educate college students about Israel, enable them to have confidence to partake in peaceful dialogue on the Israeli-Palestinian issue, and uh, many of our own MJ participants have actually taken uh, this, their amazing boot camp. I've been a huge fan of Fuel for Truth for many years. Uh, and Fuel for Truth really empowers young people to effectively communicate on behalf of Israel, which, of course, as our listeners know, is a real important and complicated issue. John is also co-founder of Legion, which is a self-defense group made largely, uh, largely made up of Jews, now offered, is this correct, 23 locations. I think we're uh, approaching 30 now, actually. Oh, my gosh. All right. That's incredible. Uh, students in uh, Legion learn Krav Maga. Uh, they do active shooter drills. They learn how to defend themselves from knife attacks. Uh, John also is a firefighter, and he is – you're right now. Where are you exactly? Uh, I'm at uh, my firehouse where I volunteer, um, and I try to work here remotely as often as possible. So if there's an alarm, I could uh, be one of the first on the rig and get out of here. That's incredible. Where where is this firefighter? She's uh, in location. It's out, out on Long Island, <clears throat> Long Island suburbs of New York. I also hear that you um, you grow your own vegetables, and you're kind enough to share them with other people. <laughs> is this true? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I have a bit of an addictive personality. So it started with one tomato plant. Um, now I grow uh, about 400 plants from food from my own seed collection, and I give. Give about two hundred of them away to other people, so they can see how easy it is to grow their own vegetables. Wow, wow! Well, I'm coming to you from a Muncie location, as you can see from out the window. We have some grass here. I would, if my thumb was green, I wouldn't know what to do with it still. But I'll help you, Mark. I'll help okay. you get there. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm going to dive right into a couple of questions. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, a couple, many years ago, this is a long time ago, you predicted anti-Semitic violence would come to the streets of New York City. Um, some called you an alarmist. Uh, many people didn't believe you. Um, what, what was giving you this indication back then of what actually is happening now? I just came back from 
the anti-Semitism uh, rally, No Fear rally in Washington, we brought a group from MJE. Um, how did you know that this would happen when so many experts missed it? Well, I, I think if you're referring to you know the impetus for the creation of Legion, I think it's important to go back a little bit further to the creation of Fuel for Truth back in 2001. <clears throat> and um, I, I appreciate you saying, you know, I may have an ability to pr predict the future. That's, that's not the case. It's really um, like anyone who, you know, is in touch with all different parts of our society. Uh, if you keep your eyes open and you keep an open mind and realize that anything's possible, um, then anything's possible, including bad things, you know, anything's possible on the good side and the bad side. So uh, I think that one of the challenges the Jewish people have had is um, you know, our, it, it first, you know, the ghettoization of our people externally, and then to a certain extent, the self-ghettoization. A lot of Jews in America and the diaspora live in bubbles where the only people they've ever known their entire lives are other Jews. So they may think they're assimilated into a society or in touch with the society, but they're actually not so much. Um, in, in many cases, they are. But um uh, I grew up in, a, in an area of Long Island where there were relatively few Jews and most of my closest friends then until this day are not Jewish. So uh, I, I was able to, you know, see and hear what people have thought about us from a, a very young age. And when you hear things changing, it, it's obvious um, the same way if you're a fan of a baseball team and you hear that people are starting to not like a team, you might say, this is obvious. I mean, how could you not see this coming? So um, we saw things developing on college campuses and we said, you know, why isn't anyone dealing with this? And the other, <clears throat> the other organization simply said, there's no way that there'll be anti-Semitism on college campuses. I mean, that's a bastion of, you know, liberal thinking and, you know, uh, embracing of, of, of Jews in academia. And it was kind of shocking how dismissive some of the legacy organizations were. Some were supportive, but most were not. Um, and sure enough, I don't think there's a person, you know, listening to this podcast who would think there's not a problem for Israel and the Jews on college campuses. So I think that the people making a lot of the decisions in leading our people are disconnected from the streets. So the more successful you become, often the further you are from the street. You're usually living high up in a building, you know, separate, you know, separated from what's going on with the rest of us. So um, fast forward to you know the creation of Legion, and we saw physical attacks um, on the rise against Jews, and we actually did our own research. And we discovered a direct correlation between Israel's actions militarily and physical attacks against Jews in the diaspora. Now, why would it take a bunch of people who are, you know, not leaders of the Jewish community? Why would it take us to discover that correlation? No one else thought there might be a correlation. Um, and we said, if we believe that there will never be war again between Israel and its neighbors, then there's no need to prepare for increased violence. But... Uh, we took all the data available to us and we determined that Israel will likely be in a war again. So um, it's pretty easy to see what's going on around you and imagine what could happen tomorrow uh, and a week and a month and a year later if you just keep your eyes open and you say anything's possible. You know, it, it's you touched on a couple of really important points. It's almost always from our enemies that we learn 
um, so much about ourselves and where our vulnerabilities. So many people have said, I don't understand, you know, Hamas attacks Israel, Israel responds, uh, defends themselves. What does it have to do with me as a Jew in New York City, mm. 6,000 miles away? And it's, I, I just think it's such a powerful response to when uh, individuals um, claim that they have no problem with Jews, but their issue and their, the, you know, is with the Jewish state. It's their policies. So if that's the case, why does a Jew on New York City get beaten up yeah. because of a policy of Israel 6,000 miles away? Yeah, the, the, the fraudulent claim that anti-Israelism is not anti Judaism is just total bullshit. Um, you know, you, you you could say that there there could be legitimate gripes of people against any government, including the government of Israel. Is is Israel perfect? No. Is America perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. Are you? No. But if you have a double standard and you apply that double standard to one country, and you have no connection to that country, you're not either a citizen of that country or a, an alleged oppressed person of that country yet you spend your entire day and night obsessing about that conflict, you're a Jew hater, sorry. Um, and uh, I've had that conversation with friends of mine, some of whom are no longer friends, most of whom are, but they slowly came to the realization that they had an unhealthy obsession with Israel and it was probably linked to things in their childhood. So then you take the other side and you have liberal Jews who were like, you know what? Um, I have nothing to worry about. People aren't going to attack me. I'm pro-Palestinian. Well, it took us a while to explain to some people when people people are going to hold you responsible as a representative of Israel, right? You're the closest thing to Israel they can punch if you're on the streets of Paris or New York. So they're not going to go attack the Israeli military. They're going to attack you. And they're not going to make you fill out a questionnaire before they punch you in the face asking, where do you stand on all these issues? They're going to say, you're a Jew, you represent that land. And that land represents us. So every this is a message to every Jew alive on earth right now. You are connected to the land of Israel, whether or not you want to be. Uh, I personally am proud that my ancestral homeland is Israel and that I'm a Jew because I'm from Judea. Um, but I'm an American. Uh, I see myself as an American. I don't see myself as anything other than that. Um, but there are other people here who are like, you're a Jew, and I'm going to punish you for the actions of, of <laughs> Israel. So again, to everyone listening, if you think there's going to be peace forever in the Middle East, stand down, relax, have a beer. There's nothing to worry about. Sorry. If you think there might be future conflict, you may want to prepare to be held accountable for those actions uh, that Israel takes. And then how would you um, – what would you recommend? I mean we all have friends and colleagues um, who – are just sort of eating up the narrative that is coming out of the mainstream, um, the mainstream media. Uh, this, this big bad colonial power, Israel, that's oppressing the Palestinian people. Yeah. What, what would you say? I mean, uh, you know, we're living in a cancel culture. If we don't agree with someone, defriend them, move on. But then we lose the block. We lose. We lose the you know the media war. Right. How would you engage? And I'm not talking about an enemy now, because I think the problem for our listeners in New York City is going to work with friends who are pro-Palestinian, yeah. is going to school, graduate school. Most of our participants are finished college, but they're in graduate school. And, you know, millennials, New York City tend to be more on the liberal side. What would you recommend for someone listening? How would you arm them with some way of engaging? And I wouldn't even call them the enemy because they're friends and colleagues. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and you're right. Um, I'm not interested in changing the the minds of members of Hamas. I'm, I'm interested in ending their lives personally. Um, but for everybody else in the middle, um, if they were uh, if they were subject to the propaganda that's you know put out uh, in schools and uh, mainstream media, I don't blame them for having certain preconceived notions about Israel. So what we discovered uh, at Fuel for Truth was that there were certain ways to engage in those types of conversations with those people who are kind of in the middle, unsure, and are looking. And again, you're a, if you're a Jew, these people are actually looking at you as an ambassador for Israel, mm -hmm. and they're expecting you to know certain basic things. It's very interesting because Jews will say, well, I don't understand. You know, I'm not from Israel, but you're the closest thing they have. So... First, you have to know the basic facts about your own history. And we discovered that many Jews in America did not know that they originally came from Israel. They thought that their people rose up out of the ground in Poland and Russia and who knows where else. And they don't realize the only reason that they were in those places was because we were sold as slaves by the Roman Empire after they destroyed our homeland. Yeah, that's, listen, I, I'm going to jump in. This Saturday night, Sunday, is the Hebrew day of Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, when we commemorate the destruction of both temples. That was the starting point. The starting point was Israel, and we were kicked out, and we're trying to get back. All of Jewish history is basically right. an attempt to get back. I, I don't want to interrupt you. I just wanted to jump no, in. No, you're right. You're right, Mark. And I always ask people, hey, if you took a flight, if you lived in L.A., you're flying to New York, and you plane stops in Chicago, and someone says, where are you from? You don't say Chicago. <laughs> You're from L.A. So our people were forced to live in these, you know, these foreign countries and then won their freedom uh, and then were punished again along the way. Um, but if you don't know that you're from Israel, what else don't you know? Right. Probably, probably not much. So um, do you know that Jews have been living in the land of Israel continuously, you know, for thousands of years, that we're not new people there. Um, did you know that Israel uh, offered the so-called Palestinian Arabs, you know, 97% of the land they claimed to be fighting for, and they turned it down? Mm -hmm. So I think um, one of the best things to do when you're engaging in a discussion with coworkers or friends or family is to ask them questions like, did you know? Right? That's did great. You know? That's great. Did you know that... It, it, you know, Jews are from Israel. Did can I know? can I add one? Did you know? Of course. And, um, first of all, the first one you said about a continuous presence in Israel is a big. Did you know? The second, ninety-seven percent peace offerings again and again. Yeah. The, the other one I think is really important. I've recommended to my readers, Michael Oren. I'm a huge fan uh, of Six Days of War. But did you know <laughs> that all of these contested territories? whether it was the Gaza Strip, which we gave back, whether it was the West Bank, um, uh, the Golan Heights, um, East Jerusalem, were all taken by Israel in a defense of war, in sure. a war that was thrust upon Israel. That is not well known because in every, excuse me, in every media clip or article, it always refers to the Arab-Israel War of 67. And, it, it, and, and if you don't pull the lens back a little further, it almost sounds like Israel attacked Sure. People took those lands and they're trying to get them back. And think about how deep this indoctrination um, 
and how effective it's been when you, Rabbi Wilds, and me are having a discussion and you accidentally referred to Judea and Samaria as the West Bank, <laughs> right? And, and by the way, and I do the same thing. I hear you, man. Because so, so I, I feel if I don't, it's almost like if I, my, my English name is Mark. So a lot of people say, why don't you go by Menachem? Because I'm an outreach rabbi, and I want people to be able to more right. easily relate to me. So if I say Yehuda Shomron, yes. I've already I've, I've already confused half my population. Right. So, but it, it's interesting, right? Because very basic things are easily confusable in a soup of lies. Exactly. So, um, and 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 I'm with you 100 percent because I could be in a conversation if I refer to something as you know Judea and Samaria. What I usually do is I'll just say. Uh, you know, that in Judea and Samaria, sometimes referred to as the West Bank, this happened. But it's 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 a very difficult thing. But yeah. I'll tell you what doesn't work with friends, family, and coworkers is arguing. Right? So instead of telling people this is how it is and this is how you should feel, you can ask them, Did you know, did you know this? Did you know this? Did you know? And they say, Well, then why are the you know, so-called Palestinians still fighting? And say, That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they turned down the peace offering because that would mean all the leaders and members of the Palestinian Authority would have to get real jobs. Right. So if you're, you're Yasser Arafat. You're making billions, billions of dollars. And all of your friends are making hundreds of millions by being in charge of cement and being in charge of iron and being in charge of fuel. Do you want that to stop? And it's like, oh, hey, thanks, uh, Yasser. Uh, we appreciate you defeating the Zionist enemy for us. Um, here are some job opportunities for you. You could be like a pizza chef or, you know, a, a, a whatever, uh, but you can't just siphon money off anymore. So what was the incentive for these people to reach peace? There was none. Hence, there was never. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Israel is uh, a place in a part of the world where there's still a massive amount of reform that needs to take place. They're surrounded by countries that are still led by kings um, what happened to the king who tried to rule over the United States um, and the kings who ruled everywhere? The last remaining kings are in the Middle East, and they are propped up because they have access to one thing that everybody else wants, and that is oil. So as long as we think there's going to be oil, there's going to be this type of corruption. Uh, and then the Palestinian Arabs have also been taken advantage of by you know, their fellow uh, Arabs as pawns. Uh, in a game between the Sunni and Shia Muslims, as a game between one country and another. Um, and uh, it's who can give them more money to get loyalty. Uh, and um, uh, I think the Israelis have been incredibly merciful. And, uh, you know, that that leads me to one other point, which is, I think, lost on many Jews, is um, there's a couple of things that I always find backfire a lot in you know, Jews attempt in Hasbara. Um, actually, maybe three things. Uh, one is Holocaust museums. Two is listing all the great achievements of Jews. And three is uh, showing uh, would any other country in the world hold back like Israel does. I actually think all three of those things have done a disservice to our mm-hmm. people. Uh, I'm happy well, to elaborate on any of those if you well, want. You what about, I'm curious about the third. I, I, I think the first two... I mean, they're not self-explanatory. I happen to really agree on the amount of money that's been poured in into Holocaust commemoration and so on and so forth. But the third thing, the third thing, which is usually with the United States, if attacked by Mexico or a neighboring country, you know, uh, apply right. 
disproportionate force. Of course they would. Um, and why is Israel held? To, why, why is that not a solid argument? Well, again, part of it, you, you're about to say, why is Israel held to a higher standard? But it, that maybe the question is, why do they hold themselves to a higher standard? What, why are more people not impressed by their mercy? And it's because they're confused. And it's because most people would say, if you punch me, I am going to hurt you. And if you come and punch me three times and I don't do anything back, maybe people will think I deserved it. Mm. Or maybe the person was actually hitting back on something I did and they didn't see because it's illogical. So um, oh, there, oh. I, I've had conversations with citizens and uh, diplomats and leaders of other countries who have said, um, it's good that Israel knows they shouldn't be hitting back against the Palestinians because they're wrong. So they're not, Israel is not winning points by holding back. They're actually making themselves look guilty in the eyes of others. Uh -huh. Now, if Israel, if is, I don't live in Israel, I'm not an Israeli. I'm not responsible for the security of the Israeli people. If I, you know, if Israel wants to hold itself to a higher standard because people feel better about themselves, that's good for them. They, they should do that. But if they think it's helping with Hasbara, it's actually not. Hasbara, just tell everyone what Hasbara in, in, uh, is. I'm sorry, in, in public relations. In, good, uh, good. Okay. You know, um, mm -hmm. So these other countries are saying, wait a minute, uh, I must be missing part of this story. There's a group of people launching missiles into my country. I'm not fighting back. In the rest of the world, there's a simple calculus of strength and weakness. There is the reason none of these countries would behave like Israel is because they know they would be they would appear to be weak. So therefore, all those leaders of these other countries are saying Israel is either weak or they don't believe they're in the right. And, and what do you then say to, let's say, Trevor Noah, whose argument was very well received um, by lots of young people in this country that I can't none of us is in a position to really analyze the situations. He said, she said, we don't know where to start talking about the conflict. We just have to look, look how many Palestinians are killed, look how many Jews are killed, and the, the facts speak for themselves. Yeah. And if, how would you respond to that? Mark, first of all, is, is profanity allowed on your show or no? <laughs> I, I try not to. <laughs> I try right, to well, keep well, it. First, yeah. Trevor Noah can go F himself, and <laughs> okay. uh, I can tell him where he can find me anytime. No, but uh, it, it, the reason I'm sharing Trevor Noah's yeah. perspective is because – no, you're right. the, idiocy, the idiocy of equating dead bodies with who's right and who's wrong. That, but that's what's happening, and yeah. that people are reacting emotionally. They're not using their minds, they're using their hearts, and they see yeah. 68 Palestinians they're, and two Jews. So it must be yeah. that the Jews are doing something immoral. Yeah, so uh, again, if, you're, if you are obsessed about a certain country uh, and you don't care about the rights of any other people other than the so-called Palestinian Arabs, um, then you're you have you know latent Jew hatred or just subconscious Jew hatred. So, um, and because I often point out, you know, the millions and millions of victims of war crimes all around the world in the last ten years, um, and why these people are not concerned about them, and they often say, "I didn't know about that," I didn't, right? And that's because the media is also focused and obsessed on us. But what I would say. Um, is I often ask people, I turn questions around to them and say, well, apply that to any other, you know, any, anything else in the world, you know, like is the, how is the score, you know, determined in a sports game? Uh, you know, you have how many points were let up, how many points were scored. Um, but in a, in a war, 
I think the idea is that you need to protect your citizens as best you can. And I don't know, maybe the uh, uh, my answer to Trevor Noah is, if you look at the numbers, um, I think that the Palestinian leadership is not doing a good job at protecting their people. And they're, sure. they're, they're getting themselves involved in conflicts that they actually can't, their society can't sustain it. And, and I feel bad for those Palestinian Arabs. This is terrible. Right. 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 But, but Trevor Noah, you know, if. Yeah, I'm not assigning. I'm not assigning. I'm not saying he's coming from a pure perspective. It's just the argument that's out there. And yeah. I, I think you answered yeah. it. He, he has a he has a history of. Uh, yeah, but it, it's just it's just that he's unfortunately somewhat typical. And right. somebody somebody recently said to me, you know, how many failings of Iron Dome would have satisfied Trevor Noah's guilt conscience? Meaning, right. if because let's say ten percent of them get through, so if more of them can't through and more Jews were killed, yeah. then all of a sudden the Jewish response to these attacks would be more justifiable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> guess know. what? Guess what? There's also a huge number of people in America who see those numbers and they cheer. The same way they want to cheer when Floyd Mayweather wins and he's 50 and 0. Um, they, they like strength. They like winning. Um, and there are people who are happy that Israel continues to kick the crap out of their enemies. Um, and I think that the Israel would have even more support if they were and less merciful is the wrong word, but if they were less concerned no, I understand with, less I understand. concerned with public opinion and more concerned with winning decisive victories, I think t they might be surprised with the outcome. Tell us a little let's uh, I want to ask a couple of questions. just what martial arts training do you guys offer in legion and I, and I see that you're able to get access to some pretty top military uh, experts from both Israel and the United States. How, how did that come about? So we, the gyms that we recommend for our students um, are always practicing martial arts that are practical in nature. So they're not doing sport martial arts. How many boards can you break? How high a front kick can you do? It's practical self-defense. So we believe that Krav Maga and uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are two of the best martial arts. Of course, there are karate dojos, karate schools that use practical uh, teaching techniques. Um, but it's a variety of martial arts, all to be used practically. Um, and what's interesting is that, and you asked a question about how we access some of these people, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the gyms that we're dealing with are not owned by Jewish people. A lot of the instructors who come in from the US military and elsewhere are not Jewish. And some of the people who train with us are not Jewish. So, but why are the experts who are not Jewish volunteering their time to help a group of Jews fighting and pre preparing to fight back? Wow. And it, why are they doing it? It's because the American people love an underdog when the underdog is willing to stand up for themselves. What they don't like is somebody whining and crying, why won't you help me? Believe me when I say, when the American Christian world sees the Jews fighting back physically against their attackers, the Jews will become the most favored sub-nation in America, and we will have all the support that we could possibly need. Because the people who are, who are volunteering their time to train with us are saying, it's about time you people started fighting back. And when they say you people, they have a right to say you people because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everyone is watching us now. Everyone is 
pretty much always watching us, but they're watching right now to see if we believe we have the right to fight back and if we believe we have a right to stay in America permanently. So the Holocaust museums, the billions of dollars that have been spent there, there should be one Holocaust museum in Israel, one in Washington, D.C. There should be a separate exit for Jews. When the Jews leave those museums, they should be asked, now what are you going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? So as far as I'm concerned, the aftermath of World War II has not ended. We're now in the dust settling century, and it is yet to be determined whether or not the Jews will be comfortable in their current diaspora. Well, it's um, thank you. I mean, I appreciate uh, one of the stops we made when we were in Washington just this past weekend. We went to the military uh, museum of American Jews who have fought in various U.S. wars. Uh, we heard from a, a Jewish um, Marine um, Air Force pilot um, who fought in Korea, but I, I didn't even realize this. Do you know that in World War One, there were 250,000 Jews that served in the U.S. Armed Forces, uh, and in World War Two, it doubled. There were half a million, 500,000, about 38,000 of whom lost their lives fighting the Nazis. Yeah, and and, it, and a if, higher and percentage it, than the actual population of Jews. Yeah, it's got to be. It's, it's got to be. The, the, the amount of Jews who served in World War II, I'm not familiar with the World War I statistics, but the World War II in America, uh, Jews were disproportionately represented in uh, the armed forces. Yeah, so, you know, the, the, the problem I've had, I, I, I'll never forget this. When I was in graduate school, I had a professor um, who made a comment about Israel. Uh, Israel had to shed, in order for Israel to be seen as really a, a powerful force in the nations of the world, it had to shed its religious roots because Judaism religiously is a very kind of cowering, hide behind the wall, let other people fight our battles. We're going to just sit and study the Talmud and pray. Okay. And I said to him that unfortunately that perception exists from 2000 years of helplessness in the, in the Galut, in the, in the diaspora and exile. I said, but what Israel is today, which is a strong country, and what you, John, are trying to help American Jews to stand tall and be strong, is so much more true to classic Judaism. If you study the Tanakh, if you study the Bible, if you study the thousands of years of Jewish history before we were kicked out by the Romans, the Jew was strong and always defended him or herself and values in which we believed. So what you're trying to do and what Israel is doing by standing tall and responding properly, appropriately, what other might be other people might be calling disproportionately, but I think appropriately, is just keeping with the most important basic tenets of the Torah. And it says, I, yeah, right. please. No, no, you're you're right. And if you look at what Legion's symbol is, it's a book and a sword. So we, we don't believe that the answer is you know solely in the in the physical self defense world. Or that it's solely in the ants, or so, or to be found solely in prayer, uh, or knowing our history, but but in a combination of the two. And uh, forgive me, I'm not a uh, um, a religious scholar, but I, I believe in the Torah. Uh, it said that the book and the sword came down from heaven at the same time. So, you know, our thought is, and it's very much along the lines of what you said about you know living in under repression in the diaspora so is galut diaspora yeah galut is diaspora and okay. what you just said before about that combination is very 
important. We never, we never put all our eggs in one basket. God wants us to protect ourselves and also to believe in God. Um, And, you know, it also says, famous verse from the Bible, do not stand by idly by the blood of your brother. I shared that with our group. I said, listen, if you don't believe that going to a protest rally is effective, I get that. But not doing anything to protect yourself and to protect your fellow Jew, wherever he or she lives, is not a Jewish option. The, yeah. the, the Bible, the Torah commands us to stand up. Rabbi Salvechik wrote that the reason he believed that the Jewish state was such a Kiddush Hashem, the creation of a modern state in Israel, was such a sanctification of God's name. He says, because Jewish blood, he said, is no longer Hefker. Hefker means ownerless. Mm-hmm. A Jew could be beaten up in the streets of Europe before the war, no recourse. Who are you going to tell? Right. What, what are the, there are no repercussions, ramifications. Today, there's an army, there's a government. And, and that's the way it was always supposed to be. We were always supposed to have sovereignty and be able to charter our own destiny and our own fate. But I want, is it true that um, there was one student who used some of her training uh, to thwart an attacker near home in Brooklyn a couple of years ago? I'd love to, I'd love to our listeners to hear because I want to encourage people, and I'm thinking of maybe MG, we could host a legion, um, a group, uh, or a Krav Maga class. Um, if you can speak to that, how effective this can, ha- this can be. Well, let, let, I'm happy to do so, but I, I want to go back a little bit into, you know, maybe we could spend hours trying to figure out why Jews think the way we do or, or behave the way we do. And it could be, um, it could be, uh, genetically based, where perhaps after 2,000 years of persecution, maybe the bravest warriors amongst us were wiped out by large enemies so that the only people who were left were people who didn't have the instinct to fight, and they had children who don't have an instinct to fight. It could be that our culture, you know, is focused on peace and love, which it should be, which I am, uh, focused on peace and love and uh, resort to violence only when violence is brought upon me. Um, and I will use that violence until we return to a state of peace and love. Um, but it, it, our uh, slogan and our only slogan is from strength comes freedom. And you don't know that you're enslaved in your mind until you're set free. You don't know. You, you, you can't compare the two. So if you grow up in the diaspora, fearful, uh, of of many things it's going to prevent you from expressing yourself it's, it's going to prevent you from being as good a person as you can be um and one of the things that we had to do um and it's very you know i didn't realize it until now the similarities between fuel for truth and legion fuel for truth does not try to educate people in the most detailed complex diplomatic negotiations in history it's basic <laughs> stuff Legion is not designed to create professional MMA MMA fighters. Mm -hmm. It's designed to introduce Jews to violence. It's designed to get them comfortable with physical interactions. It's better to fight and wrestle uh, with friends before you have to go do that with a stranger. So um, the example you raised in Brooklyn, uh, I believe when that, that happened, the person was actually relatively new in legion training and was physically accosted in Brooklyn and was able to fight back instead of cowering, mm-hmm. which is what, by the way, if you have no training at all in fighting, your instinct might be right. to of course, defend of course. And, and hope for help. 
But our belief is if you have to call for help, you've already lost. Even if you have to call another Jew, which is why we don't believe uh, that we should be uh, a, uh, or anyone should be a patrol organization for Jews. Mm -hmm. Every Jew has to know how to defend themselves. Because if you are confronted and you're confident, you are less likely to have a physical battle on your hands. If you're debating on a college campus or in your workplace, if you're confident that you can physically handle yourself, your discussions will be calmer. So you will actually, if you're weak, you may become more aggressive subconsciously to mask your weakness. So Israel can speak very quietly in diplomatic circles because they're well armed. <laughs> so um, this strength, was, from strength to freedom. From strength comes yeah, and, freedom. And, and, and by the way, that's a verse that we end almost every prayer with. We say Hashem oz lamo yitin. God should give strength to his nation. Hashem God should bless the Jewish people with peace. They're in the same verse, strength and freedom. I'm telling you, you could use that as your tagline, biblical verse. It's so from that, because if you don't have that strength, then you can't be free to be who you are 100%. So again, it goes back to, you know, you, you saying that maybe I can see the future. No, actually the secret to founding these two organizations, um, don't tell anyone, but I'm really not that smart. So if you try to not overthink things and you just see things in simple terms, it's like, hmm, all right, Jews are being attacked more. Uh, maybe we should learn how to defend ourselves. <laughs> that, that, you know, is that because, complex? Is that an overreaction? Yeah. Like, no, it's, but in, in, our, in our, you know, you gave a few explanations, but the way we've developed ourselves in this yeah. country and throughout the last 2,000 years, that's, that is, that's a chiddush. A chiddush is a Hebrew word. That's, that's like a new idea. So Jews, Jews will only be free when they believe they have the right to be free. We will only be free of persecution when we believe we have the right to be free of persecution. Every other person from the time they're born are raised, defend yourself, stand up for yourself. Now, I, I was raised that way, defend yourself, stand up for yourself. But my parents came from the old school thinking and they didn't encourage violence, you know, um, but I was surrounded by violence and said, OK, if I don't learn how to do this, I'm right. going to be eat, eaten right. alive. Now, what's the difference between the Jews in Israel and the Jews in America? And we all, as a people, experienced a horrific trauma in World War II. And let's say there were the X number of refugees from World War II. Roughly half of them went to, to um, Israel. Roughly half went to America. The Jews in Israel had a very, very easy series of decisions to make. Pick up this gun and fight or you'll be dead within the hour. And they had a type of rehabilitation. The Jews in the diaspora, especially in America, lived through that trauma and were never sufficiently rehabilitated. So they went from that trauma to living in the cities and then the suburbs of the United States, largely disconnected from violence. Of course, there were many Jews who had to fight to help us integrate into America. Right, uh, right. There were organizations like Murder, Inc., who served as a deterrent to people you know, from attacking Jews. But for the most part, the Jews in America have had an existence where we never had to fight before. So the Jews in Israel looking at the Jews in America saying, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and, and we, and, and by the way, we've always, when I say we, the Jews of America have always sort of viewed themselves as 
um, privileged in the sense that we haven't had to enlist in the army. We don't have to, those three years where Israelis are in the army, American Jews are partying on college campus. I always so, saw it. I always saw it as we were shortchanged, and that American Jews would do uh, themselves a great service by learning uh, what the Israeli Jews learn in the military. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. By the way, Mark, um, you know what's funny is people are not used to hearing these types of things spoken by a Jew, and um, you know people. Um, and it's funny. Uh, people have said, you know, in the past, like, you know, you really sound like a, a militant and some of the things you say are quite radical. And I asked them to quote anything I've ever said that's militant or radical. And they can't because if you play back every word that I have said, um, I have said that Jews should be able to defend themselves against aggression. Um, I'm wearing a shirt that says uh, yoga on it because I, I practice yoga. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a gardener. I'm involved in, in animal rescue. Um, I, I try to surround myself by peaceful, loving people and have a great time. Um, but people buy smoke detectors for their house and they buy insurance and they buy all these things just in case, just in case, just in case. Maybe based on our history for the last 2000 years and maybe based on FBI statistics that Jews are three times more likely to be the victim of a, of a hate crime than any other people, maybe Jews should spend <laughs> a couple hours a week, maybe. Maybe instead of Jews signing their kids up for like equestrian lessons, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, I'm not saying you have to. Right. Maybe send them to a martial arts class. Hey, maybe in every Hebrew day school and, and Jewish school, you know, say, oh, look, these a lot of bad things have happened to us in the past, but we're, we're not going to let that happen anymore. Right. So instead of doing uh, X, Y, and Z, we're going to do X, Y, and Krav Maga uh, and um, give our kids a fighting chance um, to survive in this world. Where, where, um, where does your appreciation and love for Israel and for the Jewish people come from, John? <sighs> That, that's a that's a good question. Uh, people say, oh, you must have a lot of family in Israel. I don't have any family in Israel. Well, you must have had a lot of family who died in the Holocaust. I don't have one family member I'm aware of who died in the Holocaust. My family, one side came over here into America in the 1800s. One side came in the early 1900s. Um, I think for me, much of my strong feelings about being a Jew came from being such a minority and just wanting to stand up for mm -hmm. myself and fellow Jews. And I'm, I'm larger than the average Jew. Uh, a lot of the Jews that I did know were much smaller. Uh, I found myself having to stand up for them sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but we were such a small percentage that um, it, it, it made me feel different. Um, mathematically, I was different. So... I think I just always liked the, kind of the underdog and yeah, yeah. enjoyed that underdog position. Uh, then I went to Israel. Uh, my parents forced me to go to Israel when I was about 15. Mm -hmm. uh, they were like, you, you, bad things are going to happen if you stay here. You're, you're heading in the wrong direction. And uh, I spent two months on a trip to Israel. I was the only public school person on this trip. It was like uh, I was a fish out of water. I actually 
saw someone putting on tefillin and thought it was a joke. I, had, I never saw tefillin wow. before. Wow. Um, and that next thing you know, I was dobbing three times a day and I became a staunch Zionist. Uh, and I came back from that trip changed. What, and, what program? Uh, Wait, it was a summer program? It was an uh, NCSY program. Ah, and uh, I don't know. Program. I, think, I don't great know. My, my parents may have like checked the wrong box, but either way, <laughs> it ended up a great ex- being a great experience for me. And uh, that created my connection with the people and the land of Israel. Wow. Uh, and it's mostly been a secular connection, but, you know, I do believe in the continuum of our people. And uh, I think that our books have incredible thought and wisdom uh, in them. There's a beautiful picture of you and your son at the Kotel. Um, mm. And uh, but tell us about that. When When was that? That picture, I believe, was actually taken uh, when we uh, went to Israel and celebrated the uh, bat mitzvah of my daughter at the Kotel. Um, and that was right before the ceremony for my daughter. Uh, a couple of years later, we went back and had a similar ceremony for my son there. Uh, and um, that was, uh, you know, just being there was an incredible experience. And someone else took that picture um, without me knowing and sent it to me. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't a staged, uh, powerful moment. It was an actual one. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Let me just ask you one or two questions just about your Netflix. Um, uh, you've got a, um, I mean, you've produced a couple of shows, Spycraft, Terrorism, Close Calls. What's the coolest thing you learned when making Spycraft? Because that's pretty amazing. Um, I think one of the interesting themes is uh, that there there are a lot of people working really hard um, to keep us all safe. And by us all, I mean anybody watching this video right now um, owes a debt of gratitude to someone. And whether you're watching the video in America or in France or anywhere uh, or Israel, um, there are people who are really risking their lives and they're being quiet about it. Mm-hmm. So um the the lives of people working you know their entire lives you know undercover um is fascinating i think to a lot of people and i think our shows uh give um people uh more of a chance to uh recognize and appreciate that dedication right i I guess because i mean the nature of what they do prevents them from having any kind of public accolades you know you know gratitude so that's that's beautiful. Thank you for on terrorism close calls. The first episode is about uh, thwarting of a plot to bomb the New York City subways. Um, is that based on any? Is this all fantasy, or there's there's a little concern there? Is that well, close? Th- those the uh, terrorism close calls was um, actually based on major terror attacks that almost took place. Mm-hmm. So those are there is no fantasy. Um, and um, interestingly, the, when we uh, conceived of that series, uh, we did so in our offices that were located directly above the subway station that was supposed to be destroyed. Wow. Um, so if it were not for the incredible work of people from the FBI and other agencies, uh, these attacks would have happened. Um, the, the terrorists who are seeking to damage Western societies have not stopped or given up their hopes and dreams of murdering us. Uh, the only reason these attacks are not happening, uh, 99% of the reason 
uh, is because we have incredibly effective uh, law enforcement and intelligence agencies. Um, the other 1% is because the people trying to attack us are schmucks. <laughs> well, I'm going to send you... Um, that's not profanity, right? Because that's, no. that's Yiddish. <laughs> that's, the word schmuck is not... Well, we're okay with that on this show. This is a Jewish show. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to send you... I didn't. I don't have it physically in front of me, but I, I'm, I just came out with a new book, John, and I'm going to... Uh, without taking a vow, I'm going to send you a copy if you'll just send me your address. I want to send you a copy. It's called The 40-Day Challenge, and it's all about preparing for the high holidays, which is sort of the Jewish Super Bowl. I feel like people are just sort of walking into their Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur experience and waiting for some magic to happen. So it's opportunity to prepare. And one of the things I'm hearing from you is being prepared. Right? I'm trying to prepare people spiritually. You're preparing people physically. Um, and just, um, I guess, in terms of Hasbara as well, why? And, and maybe we'll, we'll finish with this, but um, is that is that inspired by, you know, your um, uh, th- this? I don't want to call it obsession, but you clearly you clearly are trying to prepare the Jewish people to handle real life situations. Um, are you nervous that, God forbid, something like this can happen again? Or is it just from like the way you just expressed it? You're just a proud Jew and you don't like seeing your fellows being attacked without without proper defense. Well, part part of you know, part of the reason that you know I've spent so much time and so many other of uh, my fellow leaders have spent so much time on these organizations, especially Legion, uh, is because our f- fates as Jews are are really intertwined. Um, and f- frankly, I've felt comfortable my entire adult life in my ability to defend myself. And then when I had family to defend them. Um, but I realized that if other people are walking around as Jews and they are seen as easy victims, it actually increases the chances of me being attacked so that there was a safety for me and every Jew. If every Jew was seen as someone who could fight back. So, um, you know, the, the joke that we always have is that, you know, we hope that one day people see a Jew and say, oh, that that person's a ninja, you know, like don't <laughs> mess with them. We're not trying to get Jews. We're not trying to get people to like us. We're not trying to win a PR battle. Well, I guess in a, in a certain sense we are. But we, we're, we want people to see Jews as not easy targets, which is called deterrence. And that's what Israel has. Is yeah. the reason the reason that other countries are not even more aggressive to Israel is because they know Israel will smoke them. Um, so, um, you know, there are lots of Jews being attacked right now, and this is not my speculation or theory. These statistics are available uh, through the FBI website and NYPD website. Attacks on Jews are up. Um, I'm looking forward to the day uh, when those unfortunate incidents end with Jews hurting their attackers. Um, not disproportionately. Um, I think if someone punches you, you should not kill them. You should be able to neutralize the threat and stop them from hurting you anymore. The laws actually are very, very clear on that, that you can only use a certain amount of force to defend yourself. And it has to be, you know, reasonable in relation to the force being exerted on you. But, um, I think, uh, I've always had a passion for, um, defending people, who needed defense and were not able to defend themselves. Um, I also have a passion about encouraging people to get up and stand up and fight for themselves or or complete the task that they're meant to complete. 
what's really important to me, Mark, um, and if you don't mind, I want to share one more message. Please. Um, there many Jewish organizations uh, and organizations in general have been built up around one person or two people. Um, and I want to make it clear. I mentioned before that I was not very smart. I also want to mention that I'm not very special. So there, um, this organization, Legion, is not about me or about the people running it. It's about you listening to this. And if you think you're too old to train or you're injured or you're not ready for it, guess what? Then that means this program is for you. This program is not for people who are already fighters. It's for people who are not comfortable in the world they're living in right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No matter what you think is the reason you don't need to train, that's the exact reason that you must train. Uh, and um, they, you will be welcomed with open arms, whether you're a very young person or an older person or a handicapped person uh, or a scared person, um, Legion is for you. So um, just realize none of us are particularly special or unique. Uh, so if there are some Jews, hundreds of Jews training, why not you too? Wow. Okay. Well, I, wanna, I do want to leave everyone with that. Um, excellent commercial for Legion and for Fuel for Truth. I have to just share a quick story with you, John, before we get off, because I was just thinking about this. This is a true story. I went to Yeshiva University. I don't know if you know, and all my boys went there to MTA, the high school. There was a there was a problem in the late 70s. A lot of kids wearing kippot were getting beaten up in the heights where Yeshiva University is. And um, there's a guy who's an eighth degree black belt his name is uh, Dr. Silber. He continues to teach in YU. He's an older gentleman today. It's a true story. Um, and he's been teaching karate. He had this thing called Dora, Torah Dojo. He developed his own kind of form of karate. Oh, wow. With, yeah, Torah Dojo. is amazing. I took it for a couple of years. And um, what he did was there was a real problem. Kids were just getting pe- uh, beaten up. So one day what he decided to do was he put he took three of his brown belts with him, put them in the car. He took a scrawny MTA kid from yeshiva, <laughs> stuck him like bait on the street oh with a big God. yarmulke on. And when the locals would come and do what they were going to do, the four car doors would open up and Dr. Silber would get out with three of his talmidim, his students, and they would take care of business. They did this three or four times and spread the word on the street. They have to stop messing around with the Jews because they know how to fight. And it stopped. It's amazing. And- from, from an amoeba up to a human, living things want to avoid pain. And if they think they can do something and there's no chance of them experiencing pain, they're going to do it. If they think there's a chance that what they're doing is going to lead to them being really hurt, they're going to think twice before they do it. So the goal is actually total peace. And you can have peace when you're in a room with 100 people who are all who are all trained to fight and everyone knows everyone's trained to fight, you're going to have peace. Correct. If right. half the room thinks the other half is completely defenseless, you're going to have war. Right. Um, so if, if that's, a, that's a great story. I love those stories. And if there's anyone listening today who wants to start training, uh, they can go to legionalpha.com and find the gym near you. We're in, I believe, 25 cities now in three countries, and it's growing every week. And if there's not a gym near you, there's a button for that, too, on our website. We'll find the gym for you to go train. That's great. That's amazing. So legionalpha.com, everyone. Also, please take note of Fuel for Truth. I'm a huge advocate 
that we need to be defending Israel. And even if you yourself do, do, do not get into some sort of verbal altercation with a pro-Palestinian or pro-Hamas individual, we should be armed with information and knowledge about the simple facts of our relationship with the land and the, and the state of Israel and how Israel continues to be one of the most greatest moral fighting forces. And, and, and it's no coincidence, John, Tzva Haganah Israel. Haganah lahagain means to protect. It's defense. We're not an imperialist. We don't glorify war. Judaism never glorified war. Judaism was always about peace. But as you so articulately, so beautifully put it, there can be no peace without strength. And we'll conclude this with a blessing that we conclude every prayer. I said this before. Hashem Ozla Mo Yiten. And I want to give you a blessing, John. You should continue to be successful in everything that you do. God should continue to bless you with strength. And in doing so, bless all of us, the entire Jewish people, and really the entire world with peace. Amen. Thank you, brother, for uh, having me on. Uh, it was such an honor and pleasure. This is awesome. The honor was mine. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All the best. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Wilds Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.